Most of us, at one time or another, went to the mailbox and pulled out an envelope that looked like a greeting card. And you look up in the left-hand corner and you see the return address label and you see who it's from. Sometimes there's no address label. And you ask the question, who sent this and why? Now, it's not your birthday, it's not your anniversary, it's not Christmas, it's not a sympathy card. So what could it be? Well, the last option is it's an invitation to something. Maybe it's to a wedding, or maybe it's to a baby shower, or maybe to a birthday party. So the next thought that we all have is either great, and you open it up, and with open arms you look forward to going to that particular event. Or you might have an opposite reaction. You might say, rats, I'm being invited to something that's going to cost me some time and money. So you'll have a reaction one way or the other to an invitation. But I want you to think about invitations for a moment. We're going to touch on that today. Invitations are an opportunity to enter into a life event of significance. Now, you might not think that much of it yourself. It's just another anniversary. It's just another wedding shower. It's just another baby shower. But I want you to think on the other side of it. The person that sent you that invitation thought of you enough to want to invite you to that event. So you are significant to the person that sent the invitation. Now, I know what you're thinking, you doubter you. You're saying, they only send out all those invitations so that they can get more gifts, right? Well, that might be the case sometimes, but usually not the case. Usually, it is an invitation to something which quite often can't be repeated. Think about that for a moment. A wedding, a baptism, a bar mitzvah. Uh, all of these things will not be repeated with the same cast of characters as the invitation is being sent to you. So when we refuse an invitation, we sometimes miss a one-time event, a one-time opportunity. We may never pass this way again to be able to enter into that moment to congratulate another person. But have you noticed what happens if we choose to refuse an invitation. People can respond in one of two ways. Either they are full of grace, a grace-filled person will extend an invitation a second third uh, time, a third time, a fourth time. But sometimes people will say, oh, they refused my invitation, I will never give them another chance. So. When there's an invitation, there are choices to be made. And that's what I want to talk to us about here today. We're in this series through next Sunday called Night Hike, A Journey Through the Darkness. And we're using a metaphor that we are on a hike after the sun has gone down and we're following a trail that we cannot see. And the things that are ahead of us might trip us up. These type of things might be quite dangerous, actually, unless we have a night guide that leads us through that territory because they themselves have been there. Does that make sense? So we've taken a look at two people already. Job, who is reprimanded because uh, his friends come and see him suffering and say to him, what did you do wrong, Job? 
Just fess up. Fess up. What did you do wrong? And at the end of the book of Job, God comes to the aid of Job and he says, your friends got it all wrong. And Job really was vindicated. Last week we looked at Jeremiah. And he was an individual that's called the weeping prophet because every time he spoke up with a message from God, he was rejected by his people. He gets so mad that in chapter 20, he wants to resign from being a prophet. And he says, I wish I've never been born. Cursed is the day I came into the world. But he said, even if I choose not to speak for you, God, there's a fire that is burning within my spirit. And I cannot keep quiet. I've got to speak out because there are so many things that my people need to hear. Now today we're going to take a look at Jesus. Jesus is full of invitations. If you read the Gospels, there is one invitation after another. So we've also said that there's a particular quality that we develop with each of these night guides. Job showed resiliency. He continued on to the end. Jeremiah showed courage to speak again, even after he had been placed in prison, after he was put in stocks. He kept on speaking. Today, I want to talk a little bit about Jesus and the invitations that he extends being refused. And yet, he is so full of God's love and grace that he keeps offering these invitations over and over again, regardless of how people respond to it. So listen to a few of these invitations. When Jesus was calling his disciples, he often said, Come, follow me. We read out of John chapter 7 a moment ago when Jesus, Jesus stood up and said, If any man thirsts, let him come and drink. And whoever believes in me, streams of water will flow from within him. How about this one? You're familiar with this one out of the Gospel of Matthew. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29. So Jesus extends these invitations over and over and over again to his disciples and to the crowds. But how these people will respond differ. So if we had to make a choice as to how to respond to the invitation of Jesus to come follow him... We could say yes, we could say no, we could say maybe, or we could say wait. There's really kind of four reactions that we could have to the invitations of Jesus. There were those that heard him say, come follow me, and they dropped their fishing nets and they said yes, and they didn't look back. There were some though, like a rich young man that came to Jesus and he asked the question, what must I do to earn eternal life? And Jesus says to him, keep the commandments. And this rich young man says, I have kept all these, but what do I need to do now? And Jesus says to him, listen, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At that moment, the rich young man did not say yes. But rather, he said no. He can't give up what was his security, his riches, his status, 
and his power. He turns and he walks away. Another time, Jesus calls upon people to follow him and some had said, well, let me wait until my parents pass away and after I bury them, then I'll come and follow you. But sometimes, like Nicodemus at the beginning of the Gospel, John, he says, I see that you're a man from God. But he had a maybe in his mind. Maybe I'll follow you if I count the cost and what it's going to do in my life as a well-established Pharisee. Yes, no, maybe, wait. Those are the ways that we respond to the invitations of Jesus. I'm thinking of a parable that Jesus gave. And it's one of those parables that at first seems as though it suggests that God is like that invitation giver that says, okay, you've rejected my invitation. I'm never going to give you another invitation again. Let me read it for you. It's out of Matthew chapter 22. And Jesus is telling this parable of the wedding banquet. Listen closely. Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come, okay? Invitation is sent out, but they refuse to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted calf have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Second invitation. But they paid no attention, and they went off, one to his field, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. And the king, now listen to the response, was enraged. And he sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are invited but few are chosen. Now all of a sudden at the end of that parable it's very confusing, isn't it? At first you think the king represents God and he's throwing this wedding feast. He's inviting everyone to come but many are refusing. Some are saying no, some are saying maybe, some are saying wait. And he extends another invitation. And there are some that say yes and they come. But there are some that refuse to come. And then when he finally goes to the wedding banquet and he enters the wedding hall, he sees a man who's not wearing the right clothes. And he's saying, how did you get in here? Kick him out, take him out, do away with him. And all of a sudden, the parable doesn't sound like God at all, does it? So what's going on here? A few days earlier, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey rather than a war horse. We call that, what, Palm Sunday. 
So if you turn back a couple of chapters in Matthew, that's what you'll find happening. Well, what we find is Jesus will go into the temple area. You remember that he will challenge those that are extorting people out of money, uh, selling cattle and things for sacrifice. And then uh, he cleanses the temple. And what we find taking place is now those who are religious authorities want to kill him. And the plot for his death heightens all the more. So Jesus then begins to tell a series of parables. And parables are a story that has both meaning and a hiddenness to it at the same time. There's kind of a mystery along with the message. And what we find taking place here is Jesus tells this parable because I think what he is doing is he's contrasting the way normal people react. So you're going to extend an invitation to someone, right? And if they respond, great, we're going to have a good time. If they say no, then I'm mad at you. Or if they say wait, or maybe you say, I need the RSVP. I need to know whether you're coming or not. So three out of the four responses would aggravate you, okay? So normally, in a human setting, what we find is this king is just showing normal human emotions. However, there's a historical link here as well. You see, about 60 years prior to Jesus telling this story, there was a ruler by the name of Herod who wanted to marry into a Jewish family so that he could be accepted by the Jewish people. And he was turned down. What did he do? He brought an army into the city. And he began to execute people. He burned down the religious centers and he began to rebuild the temple area for his own glorification and his own exaltation. So I think when people hear this story being told, they go, oh, yeah, that's how kings operate, right? That's how kings operate. If you do them wrong, they will do you wrong. But right toward the end of this story, there is an invitation that is uh, well-received, and this individual didn't live up to the guest list. Now, he didn't have on wedding clothes. Well, what does that mean? Back in the first century, there would be sometimes gowns that would be put over the normal garments as a way of going to a wedding reception. He didn't have any. He comes as he is. Would he be received? Would he be welcomed? And the answer is no. No, he didn't live up to the expectation of the type of guests this king wanted at his wedding reception. And I think what this story is doing is it's serving as a contrast to the God of grace who will invite people and receive them as we come to him. His answer is always yes and amen. And it doesn't matter whether you live up to what you think is needed to be accepted by God or not. Jesus, in many respects here, is showing the futility of being a conditional person that only invites people that are the best looking and the most popular or the most substantial or prominent and that type of thing. God is always found among the people that are uninvited. 
that are unwanted, that are unwelcomed. God is always found among the person who doesn't have a wedding garment to put over his clothes. Now, how do I know that that's the case? When Luke chapter 4, there's another occasion where Jesus goes to a synagogue. And in the synagogue, what we find is on this day of worship, he stands up and he takes the scroll of Isaiah and he begins to read a portion of it and it's out of Isaiah chapter 61. And I want you to hear what it says here as we look at this passage because it will show us who is invited and who is accepted by God by the way he chooses this passage that he reads. So it says in Luke 4, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside, and he taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Then he went to his hometown, Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. These are all the unwanted type of people. Are you following what I'm saying? Here we have the poor. Here we have the blind. Here we have the prisoner. These are the people you want to keep out from your event. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. The Spirit of, the, of God is on me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's code for the Old Testament concept of the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was that event that happened, or supposedly happened, I don't think it ever really actually happened, where every 49 years... Those who have been unfairly taxed by those who were in power are released from their debts and there's a ground level acceptance of a community that's able to start again without people that are burdened down by excessive taxation and debt. Well, Jesus intentionally quotes this passage of scripture and then this, here's what he says. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You know what he's saying? I am the year of Jubilee in the flesh. I am the year of Jubilee incarnate. And it says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? And Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what you, we have heard you do in Capernaum. Jesus gives a proverb. So he gives parables and he gives proverbs. And then he says this. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, that's Gentile country, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed except 
Naaman the Syrian. He goes on and he says, here's the kind of people God accepts. The widow of Zarephath. Naaman the Syrian. Do you know how the people reacted? All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. They wanted to kill him. You know why? He was welcoming in people nobody else wanted. The Gentiles, the blind, the poor, the prisoner. And of all of a sudden, all of these things that Jesus was doing, miracle-wise, they wanted to keep all to themselves. They didn't want to extend that invitation to people they felt did not deserve it. So what we find taking place here, incidentally, those two stories are found in the book of 2 Kings, First and 2 Kings. But what we find is, as we come to a conclusion today, when Jesus says, come follow me, he means everybody. He means men and women and boys and girls and gay and straight, rich and poor. Everyone is invited. Everyone. All he is saying is, come. Come. I'm knocking at your door. Remember in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, he says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. And I want you to come out. I invite you to be a part of what God is doing in the world through me and through others that he is going to use. What does Jesus do? And this is our great hope. There will be many that will refuse his invitation. They'll say no, maybe, or wait. But those who say yes understand that he brings guests with him that you might feel uncomfortable with. He often brings the uninvited, the unwanted, and the unwelcomed in the normal ways that society ranks people upon the social scale. But I want you to know and this is why I said the great quality here that Jesus shows by his constant invitation to centurions and to a woman who bled for 12 years and to lepers and to blind and all. You know why he does that? Because of grace. Grace. He extends grace to each and every one of us if we will say yes to it. God opens the door to the unwelcome, the uninvited, and the unwanted and while others might say no, while others might say wait, or others might say maybe, Jesus says yes. He says yes, come, come, come. Come all who are thirsty, drink of me and you will be satisfied. I want to close with a, uh, a quote I ran across. Uh, it's kind of like a poem and it, this is a poem that is written uh, the guy gives his designation as Oriah Mountain Dreamer. <laughs> Oriah Mountain Dreamer. But I think it has a lot of sense to it. Grace opens the door to other people, sometimes much unlike us. He writes, It doesn't interest me what you do for a living. I want to know what you ache for and if you dare to dream of meeting your heart's longing. It doesn't interest me how old you are. I want to know if you will risk looking like a fool for love, for your dream, and for the adventure of being alive. 
It doesn't interest me what planets are squaring your moon. I want to know if you have touched the center of your own sorrow, if you have been opened by life's betrayals, or have been shriveled and closed from fear of further pain. I want to know if you can sit with pain, mine and your own, without moving to hide it, fade it, or fix it. I want to know if you can be with joy, mine and your own, if you can dance with wildness and let the ecstasy fill you to the tips of your fingers and toes without cautioning us to be careful, be realistic, and remember the limitations of being human. It doesn't interest me if the story you are telling me is true. I want to know if you can disappoint another to be true to yourself, if you can bear the accusation of betrayal and not betray your own soul, if you can be faithless and therefore trustworthy. I want to know if you can see beauty even when it is not pretty every day, and if you can source your own life from its presence. I want to know if you can live with failure, yours and mine, and still stand at the edge of the lake and shout to the silver full moon, yes. It doesn't interest me to know where you live or how much money you have. I want to know if you can get up after the night of grief and despair, weary and bruised to the bone, and do what needs to be done to feed the children. It doesn't interest me who you know or how you came to be here. I want to know if you will stand in the center of the fire with me and not shrink back. It doesn't interest me whether or what or with whom you have studied. I want to know what sustains you from the inside when all else fails. I want to know if you can be alone with yourself and if you truly like the company you keep in those empty moments. Pretty powerful, isn't it? Very powerful. I don't know if this guy's a Christian. I don't know if this guy's a Hindu. I don't know if this guy's a Buddhist. I don't know if this guy's an atheist. But he touches deep into the human spirit what we all need, right? We need acceptance. We need uh, welcome. And the invitation that God gives to each and every one of us is the invitation, come. Just come. Come as you are. Follow me and feel my love around you. You know, the one who was refused, Jesus himself, refuses to refuse you in the process. His promises are yes and amen. May that carry you through all the different trails that you walk in life. And when on the night hike, you can't see what's in front of you, and you feel like the trail might be full of rocks and roots, remember the words of the night guide who continues to say to you, stay close to me and follow my, in my footsteps. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to remind ourselves of the one who was refused by so many, refuses to refuse us. And we are thankful, Lord God, that no matter where we are today, who we are, what we know or what we own, what we have learned or where we have gone, that your open arms of love say, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, learn from me and I will give you rest. Give to us that type of feeling today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we stand as we do a closing song together, please.